Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, November 4th. First and foremost, I know she's going to listen to today's podcast. Happy anniversary to my parents, without whom this show would not exist. 31 years now, they've made it as a married couple. Really are the most adorable married couple that I know, or certainly the best partnership I could think of. They've produced two Ivy League college students and then a thriving tennis podcaster. So to my loving mother and father, happy anniversary to them. That said, going to be a shorter mini break podcast today as we kick off our coverage of the 2021 ITA National Fall Championships. You can follow all the action over on our Crack Rack. It's YouTube channel, 32 of the best men's and women's college tennis players all descending upon San Diego to compete in the final major event of the 2021 fall college tennis season. We're going to have coverage from first ball to last, hopefully be joined by our cast of Crack Rackets characters, hopefully be joined by some coaches, players on site as well throughout each day's coverage. So come join us. Again, if you're looking for your fix throughout the weekend, we will be on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Uh, Play begins each day at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 a.m. Eastern time. Our coverage will probably begin around 15 minutes before the first ball is hit. So again, you can follow all of that action along with us on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You can hear our thoughts previewing the event over on the Great Shot podcast feed today. Newest Crack Rackets contributor John Parsons joins me to break down each of the draws, answer the four questions we always answer entering a big event. What are the first uh, best first round matches? Who are the seeds on upset alert? Who are the dark horse candidates for success? And then, of course, we offer some predictions at the end as well. With all of that said, I want to talk about Wednesday's results in Paris and in Charlottesville, the two events I am watching most closely this week. Again, I'm going to try and keep this podcast under 15 minutes as we have some preparation to do for today's broadcast. But simply put, the play is too good to leave all of you listeners hanging without an episode. So, of course, I want to get into Paris first, then talk Charlottesville. Before I do that, quickly shout out to you listeners. Shout out to our Crack Rackets Patreon family. And then, of course, shout out to our friends at Tennis Point. We reach, recently launched Tennis Point Tuesdays. It's going to be a new series here on the Mini Break Podcast feed every Tuesday. Nate Walrath of Tennis Point going to join me to talk about the latest and greatest products in the tennis universe. Also talk about all the action happening week in, week out throughout the pro tennis world. He'll talk about the challengers. He'll talk ITFs with me. He may even be willing to talk some college tennis throughout the year as well. So super excited for that series moving forward. And again, for all of your tennis needs, tennis-point.com, use the promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. With that said, let's talk about the action we saw unfold on Wednesday. Let's start with the Masters 1000 event in Paris. Of course, the biggest storyline entering every Paris Masters 1000 is how many spots are on the line still to qualify for the year-end finals. How many players are still in contention for those final spots? The answer was two spots on the line and five players in contention entering this event. You had Kasper Ruud, Hubi Hercats, Yannick Sinner, Cam Nori in pole positions, but 
you know, guy like Felix Ogier Aliasim, had he made a run to the title match, with on an, which on an indoor hard court isn't impossible, he would have kept himself in play for that final spot as well. He was really the fifth guy I was keeping my eye on. But look, now the race is down to three players entering Thursday's round of 16 matches as Yannick Sinner eliminated from the tournament 7-6, 7-5 loss to fellow next-gen superstar Carlos Alcaraz. You also had Dom Kofer knocking out Felix Ogier Aliasim. 6375, the former number one player in the nation who played at Tulane. Another incentive to come watch the ITA Fall National Championships this weekend, folks. You're looking for the next Nori. You're looking for the next Kopfer. You're looking for the next Isner. They're all, com- well, they're not all competing, but many of them competing in San Diego this weekend. Uh, anyways, all of that said, have to start with the Alcaraz victory over Yannick Sinner, and it's not a revelation to any of us at this point, given what Carlos Alcaraz accomplished at the U.S. Open, given what he's accomplished, period, over the last 15 months of play. You look at Carlos Alcaraz now since the tour resumed play August of 2020. I mean, uh, August of, yeah, 2020. His record is laughable, folks, and again, it's worth remembering Carlos Alcaraz was born in 2003, folks, legitimately 18 years old, 67 and 23 since the tour resumed in August of last year. You look for him at the challenger level during that stretch of time. Alcaraz was dominant. 26 and 5. That includes challenger titles for him in Triste, uh, a challenger title for him in Barcelona, a challenger title for him in Alicante, challenger title for him in Oeris earlier this year as well. You look for him at the ATP level, though. This has been what's so impressive. 27 and 16 overall is Carlos Alcaraz in ATP-level matches. And, of course, the majority of them have come on hard courts here down the home stretch where he made a semifinal in Winston-Salem, quarterfinal at the U.S. Open, semifinal in Vienna, now makes his first Masters 1000 semifinal on, uh, quarterfinal, excuse me, on, uh, round of 16, excuse me, on hard courts as he knocks out Yannick Sinner, 7-6-7-5. You look, uh, again, at the stats in this match. What was so impressive is Sinner's, uh, Alcaraz's performance, excuse me, on serve. He only made 57% of his first serve points, and yet he won 80% of those first serve points. Only faced two break points during the course of the match, one of two on those break points. Meanwhile, he created 11 break point chances for himself. It was only two of 11 on those break point chances, but, you know, 11 versus two. That's a dramatic difference. You look at, you know, the winners to unforced errors. Carlos Alcaraz, 24 winners against 25 forced, unforced errors. Sinner, only 13 winners against 26 unforced errors. I think that tells the story of this match, and I think this that tells the story of the difference between these two players. You look at Carlos Alcaraz, he has a fluidity in in and out of corners that, quite frankly, Yannick Sinner just lacks. And that's not saying Yannick Sinner is not fluid in and out of corners. Yannick Sinner, particularly for a 20-year-old who isn't the most explosive, you know, first-step athlete— The power, the pace, the depth he can generate out of his corners. You saw the -the on-the-run forehand passing shot he hit against Francis Tiafo at Vienna. That's a special shot. There's no denying that. Alcaraz is the elite of the elite. That is... I don't want to say Djokovic levels of fluidity in and out of corners because Djokovic is the standard set of what is capable. Djokovic, uh, excuse me, he forces us to reimagine what is possible from a movement perspective on a tennis court. 
Carlos Alcaraz is in that tier as a mover, and just the power of his first step combined with the finesse and the flexibility he brings in and out of those corners, I would point you to a couple of shots that he hit. Up three love in the first set tiebreak on Sinner. You know, Alcaraz has the serve. Alcaraz hits a drop shot that draws Sinner to the net, and Sinner makes a pretty good play on the ball, gets a backhand slice approach shot, hits a deep cross court. Alcaraz, so quick, his instinct so pure, his fluidity so sound, he's able to cut that ball off, the Sinner backhand slice pass, take it out of the air as a backhand swinging volley passing shot down the line winner. A, the creativity to think to take that ball out of the air as a passing shot, brilliant from an 18-year-old. B, to have the athleticism, the fluidity, the flexibility to pull it off, it speaks to his elite athleticism as as an athlete. And then, of course, right away, start of the second set, love, love game, uh, 15 love point for Sinner. Sinner uh, employs a drop shot during the rally. Alcaraz comes up with this unbelievable on-the-stretch forehand cross-court little dink passing shot. Uh, Of course, you guys go watch the replays. You'll be able to see it. That's the sort of flexibility, fluidity. It's just the elite of the elite. The special guys can do that. And Carlos Alcaraz at 18 years old can already show that off. And of course, we know his forehand's a weapon. And I will say, from the center of the court, I still think Yannick Sinner has a little bit more firepower than Carlos Alcaraz. Both of them can wallop the forehand. I like the drive of Yannick Sinner's forehand a little bit more than Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz may have a little bit more topspin on his, and both of them elite, elite forehands moving forward throughout their careers. Let's be clear where, you know, it's slim pickings here and where it's slim pickings amongst the elite of the elite. That's like saying, well, you know, I like Kevin Durant's offensive game a little bit more than LeBron James because Durant is just a slightly better shooter than, you know, LeBron is and even if LeBron's a better passer and LeBron's, you know, more physical, better on the block, it's just KD feels like that all-around package. Anyways, point is, again, we're, we're picking hairs here. Both of them, elite of the elite, both of them future stars on the ATP Tour, both of them locks in my book to win Grand Slams here in the 2020s. But there was just a fluidity to Alcaraz, you know, 12 of 16 at the net that Sinner wasn't quite able to match. And, you know, the, I think there was a variety to Alcaraz as well, that various slices, the drop shots, stretching Sinner going, you know, forehand short angle cross court, forehand deep cross court to open up the forehand down the line or just the slices he employed. There's just a little bit more variety for Carlos Alcaraz, a little bit more fluidity. Now, again, center of the court, when they're ball bashing, they're playing even, if not slight advantage to Yannick Sinner, who I think does get better depth, better drive, and long-term will have more action on his backhand than Carlos Alcaraz, and that's why it's slim pickings between these two, and shout out to Chris Otto, tweet of the day, you enjoyed this matchup, wait till their 50th career head-to-head a la Djokovic and Nadal, great tweet from him. But that Carlos Alcaraz won this match, again, it's a testament to how talented the 18-year-old is. He is going to be seated at the Australian Open now. You look for Carlos Alcaraz in the live rankings. Absolutely unbelievable that the 18-year-old now all the way up to number 32 in the live rankings. One more victory will have him at number 31. Two more victories will have him inside the top 30. He's a top 20 guy in terms of the points race this year. He was spectacular in a straight set win over Yannick Sinner. Certainly your performance of the day. Of course, I already went too long on the first match, so I got a rapid fire here a little bit more quickly. 
close matches on the day that certainly catch my, uh, caught my attention. Hugo Gaston, the talented young lefty Frenchman, going to qualify perhaps for the year-end finals now, uh, next-gen finals, excuse me, given all of the withdrawals. He earns a three-set victory over 12th seed Pablo Carreno Busta. Slightly disappointing ending to Carreno Busta's season, not the results at Indian Wells and uh, the result here in Paris that he would have wanted. But, you know, again, Gaston tricky. The variety he plays with on a slow indoor hard court, he can get into all of his plays that much more easily. And again, the speed of this surface uh, minimizes the you know, the big serves, the big plus one weapons that Gaston's game is vulnerable to. He's a talented youngster. And again, it was an interesting result for him. He now has a shot to qualify uh, you know, uh, reached, excuse me, a quarterfinal on his home turf at a Masters 1000, as does Guillaume Monfils, who comes back once again, three-set victory over Adrian Manorino. It's been two physical matches for Monfils against Kesmanovic and Manorino, respectively. He's got Djokovic next. will be fascinating to see how much he has left in the tank. Ditto for Grigor Dimitrov, by the way. Our two resurgent performers from yesterday continue their renaissance here. We'll stick with a France world, given we are in Paris. He has a renaissance of Monfils and Dimitrov as they both earn three-set victories. Three-set win for the Duck as well, who I believe had 25 career ATP wins entering his age 29 season. This, I think, is his 20th of the year. Three-set win for him over Musetti. Uh, I mentioned some of the upsets we saw on the day. There were a bunch of them littered throughout, and I haven't even gone through. Gaston over Crano Busta was just one of, I believe, six upsets on the day. Stefano Tsitsipas for it to withdraw, down 4-2 to Alexi Popperin. He's still got year-end finals on mind. He's got 22 in mind. We're not worried about a withdrawal like that. I'm not worried about Andre Rublev either. I'm simply just continue to be amazed by Taylor Fritz, who has been, you know, one of these stories. It's not Annette Conteve level, but, you know, in terms of the breakthrough players of the home stretch of 2021, you got to put Taylor Fritz on that list. What he did at Indian Wells to follow that up, make the finals of Moscow last week, and now, or St. Petersburg, whichever one it was, excuse me, and now five and six for him over Andre Rublev. And again, these conditions, slow, high-bouncing hardcourt, you give Taylor Fritz and half a second extra, he's going to look like a top 10 player because his contact points have always been pure. His ability to drive the ball, create depth, create angle, sneaky good hands at the baseline, despite the struggles for him sometimes volleying. But look, the fitness is catching up to the tennis, and that is a scary proposition for the rest of the tour. Entering 2022, Fritz, straight sets over Andre Rublev. You also had, uh, excuse me, Kopfer, straight Great sets over Felix Ogier Aliassime. There's just a degree of physicality Kofor brought to the match. Felix couldn't match. And again, it was a sloppy for performance for Felix. You look at the stats uh, from this one for Felix Ogier Aliassime. Again, uh, you look at it, 54% of his first serves go in. That's not going to get the job done. He hits 20 winners against 31 unforced errors, 8 of 17 at the net. Given that Kofor doesn't have the overwhelming weapon to hurt you with, that match was on FAA's racket and he just didn't execute well enough on the given day. So Kofor, hell of a win for for the former Tulane number one player in the country. Again, he advances. Speaking of former ITA number ones, Cam Nori, three and four over Riley Opelka. It's really a three-man race now. Nori, Hercots, Rude for those final spots. Nori going to have a tricky one tomorrow taking on the informed Taylor Fritz. Those guys have played, I think, five times, six times already in their career. So that one should be fascinating. 
Another incredible win for Marcos Giron. He earns a 6-6 six and six victory over Diego Schwartzman. It's been the season for Giron. You look for him, was down 5-1 in the third set of qualifying. Ended up winning that match. Beats Tiafo in three sets. Now 6-6 six and six over Diego Schwartzman. You look for Marcos Giron in the live rankings, and he's a top 50 points race guy as well. But he's up to a new career high, number 57. Again, 55 McDonald, 56 Brooksby, 57 Giron, 23 Fritz, 24 Isner, 25 Opelka. Those are a couple of fun threesomes if you are a fan of American men's tennis. The other, uh, speaking of which, American winner on the day, Sebastian Corda, 2-4 and four victory over Marin Chilich. Chilich a little bit ran out of steam in that one, but again, go watch the quarter backhand. Tell me you aren't impressed. Your final winners of the day will be Hercots, 5-6 and six over Tommy Paul. Again, he stays alive in that race to the year-end finals. I believe he's now 20-10 and 10 in Masters 1000s and Grand Slams this year, 13-9 and nine in everything else. Hubi Hercats, prime time performer. Speaking of prime time performers, Zverev, Medvedev, they cruise. Zverev looked a little bit wary physically, uh, was up, you know, uh, struggled in the end of that second set, but three and six, he advances over the deuce. And then for Medvedev, up 5 2 in the first set. Sees that lead evaporates, gets the break right back. Five and four victory for him over Ivashka. Medvedev, indoor hard court. Guy's a nightmare. He won this event last year, won the year end finals last year. We know what he is capable of on this surface. But with that in mind, entering the round of 16, Djokovic, still your favorite to capture the event, 33.4%. You then go to Medvedev, 25.40, 20.2. Huge drop off after that to everyone else. Makes sense, right? Those are the three guys. They're all still alive. Should be an exciting uh, home stretch over at the Paris 1000. Of course, that is event number one. I'm watching closely. Event number two is the Charlottesville Challenger. And we had four round of 16 matches yesterday. The standout performer of the day, Stefan Kozlov, who just made his victory look routine. 6-3-6-1. He earns the victory over Australian Jason Kubler, who was a sneaky favorite to capture the title in Charlottesville, according to the Tennis Abstract Formula. You look for Kozlov. 32 and 14 here in 2021. He's winning 70% of his matches. And you just look at the last four tournaments, Columbus Challenger title. He beats Wolf. He beats Torp. He beats Kruger. He beats Purcell. Las Vegas Challenger final. He beats McHugh after, you know, eight match points, beats Kvasovic, beats Gomez for getting knocked out by Wolf. Here in Charlottesville, another quarterfinal, beats Fertangelo, beats Kubler, now has a very winnable matchup, or he'll be the favorite against a fellow young American in Emilio uh, Nava. I'm telling you, you look for Kozlov, another match where he wins, you know, 70% of his first serve points, 53% of his second serve points, saves, you know, four of the six break points he faces, but as always, creates 10 break points chances for himself, wins 58% of his return points overall. That's never been an issue for Kozlov. The serve has caught up. The feel remains exceptional. Kozlov's back. Um, I'm back on the train. We're turning this back, this podcast into its original form. We are back on the Kozlov beat. Of course, another guy we've been fortunate to chat with here at Crack Rackets, Braden Schnur, the former UNC All-American. He earns a 7-6-6-7-7-6 win over Christian Harrison in the match of the day, I will say. And I always hate to throw these people under the bus because they are the you know lifeblood of the tour for so long. Without them, tournaments don't happen. Some brutal, brutal calls in that match. And you hate to see matches decided on calls, but you could see the frustration mounting for Harrison and it just felt like it kept going against him. That said, 
you know, 766776. What was he calling it? He was calling it a tri-breaker. Mike Cation at Mike C Tennis. A tri-breaker. It sounds like, I'm not going to say that joke on the air, but DM me after if you want to hear the joke. I was going to say, I'm not a fan of the tri-breaker. We got to find something better. You know, Joe Kelly would always call a third set breaker a buster. Maybe we save that reserved for 766776 occasion. Other than that, it's just a tie-breaker. But a tri-breaker? I don't know. I'm out of that. It sounds like a try hard, and I just I'm not in. Uh, but anyways, you know who I am in on? Emilio Nava, former Junior Australian Open finalist, talented young American, earns a two six seven six six two victory over Gosaida. You look for Emilio Nava, what he's been able to accomplish here this season. The 19 year old now rock solid here in 2021, 32 and 13. Now a lot of that success came at the futures level, but you look for him of late. Qualified in in Prague, made round of 16. Qualified in Seville, qualified in Murcia. Uh, now into the main draw with a wild card here in Charlottesville, making the most of it. 32 and 13, you're winning 71% of your matches. You have my attention. Emilio Nava certainly does here. Into the top 350 of the rankings, which again, not even 20 years old, you take it. You have positioned yourself perfectly for 2022. Good result here can get him into the top 300. And then we're talking Australian Open qualifying and, you know, given he's a junior Australian Open finalist, maybe he hits a wild card into that anyways. But fantastic victory for Nava to advance. And then your other winner, Pranesh Gunaswaran, ends the run of Virginia sophomore Inyaki Montez. Uh, Gunaswaran just too much firepower. Montez too far behind the baseline. Gots, has, gots to get, has to get more aggressive as he looks to make the transition to the pros. You look at the win percentages right now. Jack Sock, 20.5%. Still your overall favorite. You then go the Wolfman, J.J. Wolf, 17.8%. Kozlov now, 13.8%. He is your third place. You then go Kudla, 11%. Vukic, 10.2% relatively toss-up. You got five guys over a 10% chance to five-man race with Sock in the lead. Yeah, I don't think any of us would disagree with that assessment. The tennis abstract singles forecast, as always, continues to kill it. But that's where we're at for today's mini break. I said 15, 21, actually not too bad. Of course, again, why do I have to rush through today's podcast? Because we're going to be on the call for the ITA Fall National Championships, each and National Fall Championships, excuse me, each and every day over the next four days. You can follow that coverage on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, a shout out as always to the super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, all the work he has ahead of him over this weekend as well. You want to hear a preview of that event? Hop on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to all the shows, the YouTube channel, all the content available at Cracked Rackets. With that said, for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.